0: Having it open and in front of you this morning is going to be helpful because we didn't print any of it in the bulletin. So open it up, get it out. If you're using the red Bibles that are provided under the chairs, it starts on page 774 and it ends on page 775 because it's a short book and we're going to read the whole thing this morning. What's interesting about the story of Jonah is uh, when you read it, it doesn't sound like any of the other prophets. It doesn't sound like any other books uh, of the Bible that are based on the prophets. If you read uh, Micah or Nahum or Obadiah um, or or any of those guys, there's a strong connection to a historical event and a, a historical situation. And the focus of the book is on the prophecy They're prophets. So when you read Micah, for example, you're reading what God told Micah to say to the particular king in the particular moment that he was in in history. Jonah is not like that. Jonah is different. Jonah is not strongly tied to a particular situation, not like the other prophets. And the focus of the book of Jonah is not the prophecy itself. The story of Jonah is is about Jonah. It's about the story. It's a lesson that God's preserved for us in Scripture with themes and issues and principles that are still really relevant for us today. Among all of the Old Testament prophets, the lessons of Jonah are uniquely accessible because he's not tied to in the days of King Ahaz, there, you know, and the, the, uh, you know, the prophet, and this was what God told him to say to this king in this time because of this thing that was going on. Because Jonah's not tied to a situation like that. It's just a lesson about sin and God's will. It's really relevant for us, but we have to allow ourselves to relate to Jonah, which is hard because he gets swallowed by a fish. So you have have to overcome the fact that we've never been swallowed by a fish and still find ways to relate to Jonah, which we'll work on. So let's start at the very beginning. This is Jonah chapter one, verse one. Who is Jonah? Who is Jonah? Chapter one, verse one and two. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. Jonah was a prophet. 2 Kings chapter 14 tells us some more information about Jonah. I'm not gonna read it to you, but you can look it up later. It's 2 Kings 14, 25 to 27, if you're taking notes. He lived around 750 BC while Jeroboam was king of Israel Jonah told the king, King Jeroboam, to build a wall on one of their borders and it ended up saving Israel from destruction. So Jeroboam was an evil king. He was a bad king in Israel. But the one good thing that he did was he built a wall and he built the wall right before there was a big attack that would have crushed Israel. Well, who told him to build the wall? Jonah did. So Jonah is sort of a national hero in Israel. And so now here in in Jonah, the book, God has another mission for Jonah. His mission is arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. Now Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrians, the Assyrian empire, and Nineveh is a great and wicked city. They are enemies of Israel. And you might You might have read this a lot. You might know this story quite well. If you're prone to writing in your Bible, go ahead and circle the words, go to. He says, arise and go to Nineveh. Walk into the enemy's capital and tell them that their evil has come up before the Lord. (laughs) That's a rough assignment. And here's how Jonah responds. Verse three, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now, this is the moment, the first moment in the story where we have to locate ourselves. You have to find a way to relate to Jonah at this moment. Because I consider every veteran to be a hero, but most of us can't relate to Jonah as a sort of national hero. We can, however, each of us relate to Jonah as a sinner. Jonah is, in this moment, doing what God does not want him to do, and when you or I, when we do what God doesn't want us to do, we're sinning. When you know what God wants and you choose to do something else, that's what we're talking about. And that's what Jonah did. You and I, we do that too, don't we? Don't we? Yes. You know God wants you to do something and you just decide to do something else. Maybe it's negotiating. Maybe you compromise with God. Woo! Um, I get this a lot with guys in the church who um, need, to, need to ask for forgiveness. It is hard for men to ask for forgiveness. And I get Pete, guys coming up to me, and this has happened for a long time, not just talking about at this church, but people that need to ask for forgiveness. And I go, well, you should go and ask for forgiveness. That's what the Bible prescribes. And they go, well. I'm not really comfortable with that. I'm just going to go ahead and not speak a word about it ever again. All right. That's running away from God. in the same way, if you're supposed to forgive someone, and you know, God wants you to forgive someone. The Bible says that if you don't forgive your brother, God's not going to forgive you. You need to forgive people. But man, that's hard sometimes, right? And when you choose not to, you are choosing to run away from the thing that God wants you to do. And then when we do that, when we ignore what God wants, when we compromise, when we run away, you and I are just like Jonah, who is in this moment just a portrait of sin. He's running away from God like you or I do. And this is the point in the story when we know he's running away, but we don't know why. All we know is he's trying to flee from the presence of the Lord as if you can get out of God's jurisdiction. If I cross the state line, they won't be able to get me. He knows better, but he's desperate. Let's, uh, let's get back to the story. This is, this is verse four. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. The the Hebrew here actually says, the ship considered breaking. I might break right now. (laughs) The ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Now this is the, like, the funniest example of name calling in the Bible that I can think of because he's so shocked that Jonah is asleep during this storm that's gonna break the ship that he walks down, he gets down into the ship and he goes over and he sees Jonah on the cot, sound asleep and goes, what do you mean, you sleeper? Sleeper! He's just just befuddled. He says, get up, we're all hands on deck. We're all praying to our gods, you do the same. You do the same. And watch the danger and the distress of the moment build up as Jonah continues to run away from what God wants. Uh, Verse seven, and they said to one another, come, let us cast lots. That's like, let's throw dice. Let's cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come come upon us. What do you do? What's your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. That's Yahweh, the God, the Elohim of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is it that you have done? For the men knew, they already knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Now to Jonah's credit, right? He, he needs this to get in this boat to go to Tarshish and he tells them, just so you guys know, I'm running away from my God. And they are go, yeah, get on board. Come on, we're all running away from something, aren't we? Hey. So he gets in and then this terrible thing happens. Now here's why they're exceedingly afraid because in the ancient Near East, their gods that they worship were gods of particular things, right? The god of the sea, the god of uh, the mountains, the god of storms, the god of war, the god of fertility. They worship particular gods. So when Jonah tells them, well, I'm a Hebrew and I fear Yahweh who is the God who created the heavens and the earth and the sea. And they go, what? All of it? To them, that's crazy. And they, now they're really afraid. And the men were exceedingly afraid. And what have you done? They knew he was running, but they didn't know he's running from the God of the universe. Jonah is clearly the cause of this mighty tempest. They figure that out by casting lots and he tells them. So they've got a problem. Jonah's on their ship and Jonah's God is about to break the ship. Let's keep reading. Verse 11. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you? What are we going to do with you? that the sea may quiet down for us, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, that's Jonah, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea, it will quiet down for you. For I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Now, If God wants Jonah to come back, why is God not allowing the boat to row back to the land? Why? Because he's still running away. Jonah says, kill me. He doesn't say, take me back. He says, I know I'm running away from God, but you know what? Kill me. He would rather die then go back and go to Nineveh. We still don't know why. Therefore, the, the storm is growing and growing. Therefore, they called out to the Lord. That's the sailors. Now they're calling out to Yahweh. O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And let us not and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. They're saying, please don't kill us because of whatever this guy did. We're sorry we brought him on the boat. Please don't kill us. But also don't make us kill him because his blood will be on our hands. We're all, but we're, what we're about to do, we're doing because you've placed us as you will. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Jonah was the cause of the storm, and he didn't want to go to Nineveh. They tried to row to land, but Jonah was, would rather die. He tells them just Throw me overboard. Jonah still hasn't repented. He still has not aligned himself with what God wants. He doesn't want to go to Nineveh. But God's got bigger plans. Verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Now you... You might get tripped up at this point in the story, wondering if that's possible. I mean, the only other time that I've heard of something like this is Geppetto, right? (laughs) And he's in the, and he's, doesn't he have, he's like in the ruins of his ship and he's like working on things and he's got a little lantern and stuff and you're going, that's a really big fish. Jonah is stuck in the belly of a fish for three days. And it isn't until this moment that we find out that God didn't send the storm to punish Jonah. It wasn't some kind of, you know, divine spanking. It was all part of a divine rescue. It looks like, if you're just reading it, if you've never heard the story before, it looks like God's mad at Jonah. Until it says that the Lord sent a giant fish to save him from drowning in the sea and ultimately to save Jonah from himself in his own disobedience. And so here we have it. Jonah, this famed prophet, the son of Amittai, hero of Israel, having hit rock bottom. Rock bottom. If we look back in the story so far, the story has been full of moments where Jonah is going down, Jonah goes down to Joppa. Then he goes down into the boat. And then he went down to the inner part of the boat. And then he was laying down. That's four downs in the first six verses of this story. He's been heading toward rock bottom ever since verse three, when he decided to run from God. And now he's trapped inside a giant fish. And don't think about Geppetto. Think about being trapped inside the mouth of a giant fish. Now, really, the fish is not the point. But think about that. Jonah is stuck, and that's as low as you can get. Stuck between the teeth and the tongue, right? Gross. That's rock bottom. And I think there are each chapter essentially has a has a big principle, has a theme or a message, and the first uh, theme, the first uh, principle from chapter one is the distress we experience when we run from God's will. Have you experienced that when you're not lined up with God, when you're not doing what He wants you to do? Life is tense. and dangerous, and perilous, and you don't feel safe? God's got all this figured out. God is sovereign, and the Bible says that he'll work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. In other words, the center of God's will is the very, 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 very best place for you to be, no matter what. And when we run from what God wants, we place ourselves in danger and distress. Jonah ran from what God wanted and things went south fast. But as promised, God used that danger and that, that, that turmoil to save those sailors. Amen? We still see God working out his will even when we run away. Okay, chapter two, then Jonah prayed. So he's stuck in the belly of a whale. Chapter two, verse one, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. That's, that's the grave, that's the place of the dead. I cried and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah's prayer is a carefully woven series of psalms, particularly the psalms of David and other poetry from scripture. Jonah's heart has been, he's, he's, he's so familiar with God's word that when he's stuck, God's word starts coming out of him and reminds him of who he is and who God is. Two things come up in in his prayer, his present anguish, but also his trust that God will rescue him because that's what God does. He's a rescuer, amen? And Jonah recommitted himself to his duty. At the end, he says, what I have vowed, I will pay. Verse 10, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. For your notes, the second big principle, well, it doesn't say this, but you might want to write this down. Sometimes God's rescue is yucky. Do you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes God steps in to the mess that we've made, and it's not pretty, but it's always good but if you want to write something down in your notes, the second big principle coming out of chapter two is the deliverance we experience when we submit to God's will. It wasn't until he was in the belly of the whale that Jonah realized that he needed to get back on board with what God was doing and God set him free. There's freedom in the center of God's will. The dismay and distress and danger of running are replaced by deliverance when we submit to God. Chapter three. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Let's just stop there and appreciate what that verse is saying. Amen? One of my favorite verses. Sometimes I just need to know that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And he said, arise go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was exceedingly great, an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. So it would take you three days to travel from one side of Nineveh to the other side of Nineveh. That's it. About a hundred years after this, it was the largest city in the world. Nineveh, that great city. It's a great big city is what it is. Jonah began to go into the city. He went about a day's journey in and he called out, and this this is the prophecy. Ready? Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's what he tells Nineveh, you're doomed. You've got 40 days and then it's over. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Now Jonah's prophecy is doom and gloom. It's, it, there's, there's no hope in it at all, but it works. The people of Nineveh believed God. God used this broken man with an incomplete prophecy to do something that only God could take credit for. He used, he used Jonah in his weakness to, be, to glorify himself. I can relate to that, can you? Verse six, the word reached the king of Nineveh And he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Unheard of. Unheard of. The repentance that's going on in this city. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way, from the violence that's in his hands. Who knows? Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented from the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Nineveh as a whole is a wicked place. But when they responded to God with faith and repentance, God showed them mercy. By the way, he always has, and he still does when we respond to God by believing in him and turning away from our evil ways and doing what he wants, God still rescues us. And that's what he did for them. We see another principle coming from chapter three, and that is the divine help others experience when we fulfill God's will. God's will is for none to perish, amen? 2 Peter 3, 9, that's a letter from the New Testament. It says that God does not wish that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's not a God of destruction. He's a God of rescue. Always has been, always will be. Likewise, in the Old Testament, Uh, book of Ezekiel, another prophet, chapter 33, verse 11 says, this is God speaking. He says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. That's what God wants. When we fulfill God's will, it is for the good of people and for God's glory, because he does not want people to be destroyed. He wants everyone to turn and be righteous. So clearly, God saving this huge city like Nineveh is something that we can all celebrate, right? Except for Jonah. Chapter four. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. God's mercy and his kindness to Nineveh displeased Jonah greatly. And he was angry And he prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, is this not what I said when I was still in my country? That that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish because I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. I knew it. Therefore, Now, O Lord, please take my life from me for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? That, we call that the Dr. Phil question. How's that working for you? Jonah, we find out now why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. Why does he not want to go to Nineveh? Why does he not want to preach a message to Nineveh to to turn? Because he knows it'll work. I knew that you were going to save them. I knew that you were going to be merciful. I knew it. What a brat. Jonah does not want the Ninevites to be saved. Jonah is an Israelite. He does not want the Ninevites to be saved. How petty. And you might think that's crazy. You might think for Jonah to say, I don't want to go and and preach to them because it might work. In fact, it'll probably work. So I don't want to. You might think that's nuts. I told you the key to understanding this story is to relate to Jonah So let me tell you what God laid on my heart really powerfully on Friday. I think we do the same thing. I think there are times when we choose to not share the gospel because we're afraid it'll work. Because if it works, now what? Now, the real work starts. Now, you've got a baby Christian that you've got to deal with, and you've got to explain the Bible to them, and you've got to tell them why they, you know, what's appropriate and what's not appropriate, and you have to, you have to, all the way back to square one. They don't know anything. And you've got to bring them to church and introduce them to your Christian friends. And maybe they don't act like us. Maybe they don't talk like us. And now you've got to defend them against the people who are, gonna, who are saying, like, oh, you know, why are they dressed like that? Or why are they saying those things? And they, do, do, they, don't, they, don't, they, they don't fit around here. And maybe that's just too much work for you. Maybe you would do that. Maybe I would do that for someone that I really, really thought highly of. But would you do that for someone that you didn't really like? How often do we just simply choose to not share the gospel with someone because we don't want to deal with it if it works? Shame on us. Shame on me because I know I've done that. God's will is for none to perish. we don't get to choose. That's what Jonah did. Jonah chose, I don't want to tell them. I don't want to deal with it. I don't like them. I don't want them to be saved. How often do we do that with someone else where we say, I don't want you to come to my church. I don't want you to become part of my life like that. I don't want to have to take care of you like that. Guys, shame on us if we ever think like that. Somebody say amen. Amen. I think right now, we just have to repent from that. Me and you, right now. We have to just make a commitment right now to never do that. If God calls us to share the gospel with somebody, if we have an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody, just do it. Just do it. And if you don't want to take care of them, I will if you don't want to take care of them, someone else will. But let God do something in your heart that makes you want to take care of a brand new believer, that makes you want to walk through life with someone when they're reborn in the name of Jesus. Let God change your heart. So I think we can relate to Jonah. It sounds crazy to just not want someone to be saved, but I think we can relate to that. I think there's also something really nationalistic about Jonah's heart because Nineveh is Israel's enemy. The idea of God saving them made Jonah want to die. Again. But the point is that Jonah's heart was not aligned with God. Jonah was going through the motions and he was doing the thing that God wanted him to do, but his heart was more for Israel's good than for God's will. Let's keep reading. This is verse five. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it uh, uh, in the shade until he could see, so he could see what was happening with the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant, and it came up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. What a brat! He asked that he might die, and he said, It's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? Because this plant is gone. And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who don't know their left from their right and also much cattle. We see it here really clearly, but it's been throughout this story. We've been dealing with this final theme, this principle from Jonah, and that's the depression we experience when we question God's will. Jonah and God are not on the same page. It's been clear throughout the story, but them being not on the same page thrusts Jonah into a pity party constantly. In chapter four, God uses that depression to expose Jonah's heart and to uncover his sin. Jonah's sin is that he hates Nineveh. The point of the plant is that Jonah loves the things that suit him and make him comfortable and has intense grief when they're taken away. But he doesn't care at all about Nineveh or even the animals in Nineveh. Jonah hates Nineveh and his hatred leaves him openly sulking while God should be receiving praise for saving that city. I know we covered a lot of ground. We read a lot of scripture this morning. I hope you've heard God speak to your heart really clearly as we've gone through these these passages in this story. But let me just drive home a couple points and then we'll, we'll wrap up the service. First, we are not better than our neighbors. We are not better. You are not better than the evil people that live around you. You don't deserve God's grace any more than anyone else. That's why it's grace. It's just a gift. When we care more about our own comforts than we care about the lost sinners in our community and in our world, we're guilty just like Jonah, who loved this tree oh, I love the shade that it brings me. And when it's gone, oh, I hate that it got taken away. But does your heart feel the same for the people in the community, for the lostness of the neighborhood? Do you feel that way about them too? God's will is that none should perish. If you've been rescued by God's grace, amen, praise God. If you've been rescued by God, you've also been called and commissioned by God to go and rescue others. And if you aren't sharing the good news that Jesus has come to rescue anyone who believes in him, you're on a boat headed the wrong direction. If you are not sharing the gospel with your neighbor, you're just like Jonah. We're just like Jonah. Because God's will is that none should perish. And how will they know unless someone tells them? Finally, if you feel like you've been on the run and you need to be rescued, there's good news. God is still a rescuer. You see, Jonah's, Jonah's crazy story was meant to foreshadow and prepare us for an even crazier story. Because if you find it hard to wrap your mind around a guy getting swallowed by a fish and then coming back out, you're gonna find it really hard to believe that Jesus Christ came as God, that he lived a perfect life and then he died for your sins and then he came back to life so that he could offer us forgiveness, because he's already paid the penalty for all of the stuff that we've ever done. He's already taken care of that. And Jesus says that if you believe in him and you turn from your ways by faith, that he'll rescue you right now, forever. That's good news. God is still rescuing people, just like he rescued Nineveh. And sometimes it comes from a broken message. Sometimes it comes from a broken vessel. Sometimes it comes from a a pastor who doesn't know exactly what he's talking about. But when God reaches into your heart and tells you, I'm here for you, if you turn to me, he's there to rescue you. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Jesus was dead for three days, like Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days. And he came back to rescue you and to rescue your neighbors and to rescue this world. Because that's what he does. That's what he does. And that's God's will for you today. Is for you to be rescued and for you to rescue others. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.